Welcome to The Success Ascent. My name is Pat Mancuso, the creator and host of our show. Today we welcome Adam Markell. Adam is an expert on turning change into opportunities and helping transform cultures. He's also an entrepreneur, a business owner, speaker, as well as an author of many books, including Pivot and I Love My Life. Today on our episode, Adam shares a number of interesting and important points for us today, including how to maximize resiliency in our lives. I know you're going to enjoy the episode today. Adam also offers us a special gift at the end of our episode. So on to the ascent. Welcome to the Success Ascent. My name is Pat Mancuso. I'm the creator and host of our show. We are so excited that you are here today, as well as our special guest, Adam Markell. Now, before I introduce Adam, I just want to first of all remind you, we so appreciate your support, your listenership, whether you are with us live or whether you subscribe at your favorite podcast source. You can also get updates at www.thesuccessascent.com. So let's get on with it. Let me tell you about Adam. Adam is a nationally recognized expert in professional and personal reinvention. And boy, do we need some conversation around personal reinvention in our world today. He's a highly sought after keynote speaker, transformational leader, business mentor, entrepreneur, and he guides individuals and businesses to capitalize on change and magnify their impact. After building a multi-million dollar law firm, we'll have to talk about that lawyer thing, Adam. He became the CEO of one of the largest personal development training companies in the world, overseeing more than $100 million in sales. His unique expertise in combining practical business tactics with accelerated learning strategies to embrace change and encourage innovation and increase sales for people and organizational worldwide. Adam Markell inspires, empowers, and guides people to achieve massive and lasting personal and professional growth. He's also an author of three books, including appropriately titled Pivot. So welcome to the show, Adam. It's so great to be here, Pat. Thanks for having me as a guest. Oh, we are so excited. So I always start off the show, Adam, and I ask my guests, you know, I just got done reading all the good stuff about Adam. And tell our listeners, who's the real Adam? Like, tell us something about you that maybe isn't on paper. It's so interesting because I... (laughs) I'm always asking other people that question. And so now it's been uh, it's been thrown back my way. Um, gosh, what, what's something about me? I mean, the most important thing that I can think of is that I'm a, I'm a daddy. I'm a father of four. I married my college sweetheart uh, 32 years ago. I know you're married almost 30 years, I think 30 years this September. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I love I love my I love my wife. I love being married. I love being a dad. I love business. I love being an entrepreneur, but you know, in order of priority, I'm a husband and I'm a father. That's, that's what comes first for me. And, um, and the good thing about being an entrepreneur is that it's, it's helped me to, to give, provide, take care of my family in a way that, uh, that I didn't even think was possible growing up in a little suburb of New York city called Queens. So this tiny little place. In, in a small apartment, you know, it shared a room with my brother, the size of a closet. And, um, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't dreaming of big riches or anything like that back then, but I, I always valued from, from the time I was 15 years old, like you, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started when I was about 15. Um, and I just, I liked having my freedom. And I think that's one of those things about entrepreneurism and, and whether you're operating a, you know, 
sort of a startup business or a more mature organization, um, you know, ultimately you start a business to be able to sell a business or to be able to be free of a business right. at some point. Same way as you start a family, and this is, I'm going to tie this up for myself here. You start a family so that ultimately someday those healthy, beautiful little chicks, they just fly the nest, man. Yep. And then you get to, <laughs> you get to be an empty nester like my wife and I now. Yeah, and, 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 and you got the little grandchild on the way. On the way. I'm going to be a poppy. Congratulations. <laughs> that'll enough, that'll yeah. change your world. It, it's a, it not, I don't know that yet, and hopefully not for a long time. However, um, I've heard it's just an amazing uh, experience. I'll let, you, I'll let you know from the other side of that, Pat. There you go. There you go. So, Adam, one of the focuses that we have on, on our show is, you know, the success ascent. It's titled The Ascent, which is a trajectory up. And yet we never, ever expect that it's always going to be directly up. Sometimes it's backwards. Sometimes it's really backwards. And yet most times it's up or it might be sideways. So before we start, we talk about the book. And, and I do want to talk about the book and, and how you're impacting people with that message. Tell us a little bit about your journey of success. Like as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of a huge company, what, what were some things that you learned? Well, I mean, honestly, it's, there's no straight lines in the universe. So the fact is that there, anybody that thinks that getting from here to there is going to be, you know, sort of a nice clean, clean ascent to use your term, um, I, I think is, is, um, you know, I don't want to say misguided, but it's it's just not been my experience. I mean, maybe it is for some people, but the people that I've worked with, the people that I know that have been highly, highly successful have also been highly unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. They've made a, a just a ton of mistakes. And um, and actually, you might see it's written on my on my hoodie right here. It says, I love my life. I and love this it. was actually the topic of a TED talk that I gave a couple of years ago. And and that really sort of takes me to a place, I start that talk uh, very much in a place of despair and and pain and, and suffering. Um, and, it, and it begins in the morning. That's when my, my pain began. I would put my feet on the floor at the start of the day and I would feel this great sense of anxiety, of, of, of even angst and sometimes dread. And, and I know right now in, in the times that we're living in, there are a lot of people I think that are, are feeling anxious and anxiety and depression and even dread like I was. And it's an awful way to begin the day, not the way you end the day. I mean, that's how I began the day. And so, and that was when I was a lawyer and I'm like a fully recovered attorney now. I know you mentioned that in the bio. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> you know, but 18 years I, I practiced law. And for many of those years, I was aware, conscious of the fact that it was causing me this, this pain. Um, and I didn't know what it was from. I didn't, I wasn't very much aware of, of what it was, what was going on under the surface. I just was feeling like crap and, and didn't really even know what to do about it. And ultimately in one of these nights when, when I couldn't sleep, was up late watching TV. I was watching this movie, Jerry Maguire. And there's a great scene in this movie where Jerry introduces his mentor, a guy by the name of Dickie Fox. And uh, if you haven't watched, anybody that hasn't watched this movie, you have to go it's see it. It's a great movie. movie. 1994. I only know that because our second daughter, Lindsay, was born that year. And, uh, and had everything in the world you know, to be grateful for. Four healthy kids, great marriage, very 
successful business, thriving business, multi-million dollar business, you know, <laughs> to add to it. Um, but I, I was in pain and unhappy and I'm listening to this, watching this movie and I'm listening to this guy, Dickie Fox say these words. He says, you know, I've had as much failure in my life as I've had success, but I love my life and I love my wife. And I, I wish you my kind of success is what he said. And that night I went to sleep and something had shifted in me. Something had changed. I woke up the next morning and when I put my feet on the floor, I was ready to experience what I'd been experiencing for many months at that point. This sense of, I just want to crawl back in bed. I, I just wish it was the weekend or, you know, like, right. but when my feet hit the floor, what I felt in that moment was love was gratitude for the fact that I was breathing and alive at that moment when it was clear to me as it is in this moment that there are people, when you take your first waking breath of the morning, when you're first waking up, there are people who are taking their last breath in that exact same moment. And so without even thinking about it, my feet hit the floor and I said those words that Dickie Fox said. I, I said, it. I love my life. And that, that was the beginning of something that, that we can talk about that produced a great deal of, uh, it was a pivot point. I wrote, I wrote this book called Pivot that was all, all about pivot, my business pivots, but other pivots in my life. Um, and that was a pivotal point. Um, but, but in that moment when my feet hit the floor and I said those words, I had hope. And I think that's one of the most important things that a business owner, that an entrepreneur has to always be able to go to a place where you can cultivate hope. Yeah. Because as sure as I know my name is Adam and I know your name is Pat, <laughs> right. there'll be great times in your business. I've had great moments, ridiculous moments to celebrate. And I've had moments where I, I was worried about... I was worried about making payroll. I was worried about if we could pay taxes. I was worried about whether our business was going to be around two weeks from now, things like that. And, and I know that that's a part of that. It's just like, again, we, we started out talking about kids. It, a, a business is like a baby and, and that baby is going to require so much of, of you and of me. And at three o'clock in the morning, it needs a feeding. You know, it, it needs to be changed. It needs to be given love and attention. And, and sometimes, it, you know, even that baby grows up and it's 13 years old and it's talking back to you. <laughs> it won't, yeah. won't come home when you tell it to come home and it you know, wrecks the car and it does all <laughs> these kinds of things. And yet, if you love it, if you love it the way you love a child, you love, right. you love a person unconditionally. If you can love your business unconditionally, if you can put like my, my hoodie says, if you could love your life and, and love things in your life, like your business, you bless those things. You love those things. You give those things your attention, which is the equivalent of love. Then yeah, you're going to weather the, the inevitable ups, the downs, the storm. Sometimes it's, it's harder to be successful because often, and, and Pat, you tell me if this is your experience too. Sometimes somebody's successful. It's like, that's even more difficult to deal with than failure because success goes to a person's head and yeah. often it sort of changes them. Whereas failure or mistakes creates humility. It creates a humbleness. A, a person is so real when they, when they're vulnerable like that. And yep. we know that it's the human spirit anyway. It's in our DNA to bounce back. So we yep. never stay down. That's not who we are. So, yeah. it, you know, and what did I just describe? I described like the waves in the ocean, man. It's not flat. Yeah. It's, it's always this up and down. And 
you know, learning, learning how to elegantly and gracefully ride those waves, I think is one of the most important things a business person and any person in anything can, can be able to do. Well, you know, there's two things that you said that I that I love, and, and it's funny because both of them tie into some of our, our prior guests. We interviewed uh, Travis Rossbeck, who uh, was the creator and founder of Hydroflask, and he said something which was really, um, it just really struck me. He said, the day after success was, which, which is by his definition, when he sold uh, Hydroflask, he, it was the most surprising day in his life. Like he hadn't expected what happened after he sold the company. And so that was an interesting um, observation when you talked about that. And then Randy Ross, who wrote a book, Hope Rises, it, it, you know, you hear people say hope is not a strategy. And yet if you don't have hope, then you don't really have anything, right? And and so I love that you, you brought those two things out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, before I flip to the, the books and what you've learned and how you can really impact us today, what was something that in your journey of success, you know, when you're running the companies and building businesses, what was something that really surprised you that you didn't expect? The complexity of, of dealing not just even dealing, but relationships are the most important ship we ever sail on. A buddy of mine has said that many, many times, and I love that one. Relationships are tough. They're 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 challenging. I, I I know to be married to a woman that I met in college that is just the most important person in my life. I've adored her for a very long time, and yet. There were times when I took her for granted and there were times that our relationship wasn't working well. And, and so that's the most important relationship to me in my life. And, and then there's our kids and we've had rocky times up and down with them as they've been growing into their own skin. Um, and, and, you know, we inevitably have our bad hair days, you know, as you can see, I, I have, I have a great hair day every day right now. Right. But relationships in business are, are tough. They just like all relationships, right. especially if you don't put the time in, if, if there isn't the kind of attention to those relationships. And, and so, yeah, in running a company that had more than a hundred employees, I found that, that if, if I was attentive to those relationships, then I could, I could expect. I was able to expect things of people and, and often I was pleasantly surprised by what they produced. But when I wasn't giving those relationships or attention or, and I'll say this, even expecting the worst right. out of some people, because I had already put my, you know, sort of lens of judgment on, um, more often than not, that's exactly what I got. I got what I expected. And, um, and I think in any in any situation where you're managing people, you've got to you've got to you have to love people. Right. Again, I know it's a strange word to use in business, but I don't I'm not meaning it in the intimate sense. I'm meaning in the sense of that you care, that you care unconditionally. And and if you do that, then I truly believe that what you will see is that people will go out of their way to give you their best. Yeah. But if you don't, if you don't have the time for them, right? Well. You're probably not going to get anything other than what you know would expect in the situation. Yeah, and I know that's what happened for me. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, and you mentioned that and obviously, uh, uh, you know, your your friend, Steve Farber, and we interviewed him on our podcast, talked about how important those relationships are in, in his book and, and what he delivers. So let's pivot a little bit. And I want to I want to have you describe because I really love the way you described it. And I know you'll do it, you know, the, in the best that you can. But describe the lifeboat analogy. Because I think it sets the stage to talk about this resilience and reinvention. Yeah, you know, Pat, I uh, I spent some years at the beach. I was a, a Jones Beach lifeguard. In fact, I, I even have it right here. I'll, I'll pull this out. I didn't know you were going to ask me about this, but I've got my old lifeguard whistle right here. I love so it. So this is, this is uh, circa 1987 when I started. Certified at- lifeguard whistle. I love it. Yeah. That's it. Two whistles, two toots. Two toots means you're making a rescue. Uh, So often I I do quite a bit of work with organizations, keynoting their conferences, and and I'll frequently start with the story where I'm 19 years old, I'm on the beach, and we hear three whistles ring, and we know what three whistles means. It's, It's a signal that we've lost somebody. There's somebody that's missing in the surf. And that story, unfortunately, doesn't have a happy ending because we don't, even after a full search and rescue for a couple of hours, we don't find the guy. And we see his family is, you know, just on the beach is devastated. And, and ultimately, and I mean everything, we've got our, our rescue boats out, our, the rescue dories, those lifeboats. We've got, we're on surfboards, we're swimming, we're diving and, you know, everything's happening, but we don't find this person. And, and our, our, captain, the the person who was the leader of our field, like the equivalent of the CEO of that lifeguard crew, gathers us at the end of that day. And after a moment of silence, uh, he looks at us and says, nobody's ever going to go down at this field again, not on our watch. Nobody's going to go down in our water. He said something that I, to this day, will never forget. He said, you either make the save or you die trying. (laughs) I mean- That's intense. And and that that was the environment at that beach from that day forward. For seven summers, I worked there and we had to learn something. He said more than just what I I shared. He he told us that we were going to have to get back up in the lifeguard stand again the next day. And we were 20 lifeguards and there was 100,000 patrons at this particular one mile square piece of sand and, and we had to do our job again and we were going to have to learn something. We were going to have to be better than we were. And we were going to have to take good care to our, of, of not only ourselves, but of people to our right and to our left, to the people in front of us to be able to do that, to be able to make true that, that, uh, that statement. And seven summers later, we never lost anybody again. I, I learned about resilience on the beach that summer. Yeah. And then wow. ultimately, I became a different kind of a lifeguard when I was a lawyer. I was guarding my clients. And, and I think we're all lifeguards. I think we're all guarding our families yeah, and our yeah. friends, our customers and our businesses. We're, we're constantly uh, guarding. And, and, and so today, resilience looks a little bit differently than that. But my, my understanding about resilience kind of flows out of that that beach that beach scene and ultimately these days uh, i think there's nothing more important meaning not just in the midst of a pandemic or in the midst of an unprecedented series of disruptions that that we've all experienced right. and seen but going forward 
This is the one skill that you work on now because you will, again, as as I know my own name, you will surely need to be resilient in the future. So you talk about, you know, the resiliency in terms of people building relationships to close a gap. And and you and I talked before we started, I I, I discussed, I just happened to be at uh, grabbing a bite and saw a post on Facebook where somebody posted a picture of Bill Gates and a quote. And then I I read 40 some, I just happened to, I don't know why it caught my attention. I read 40 some quotes and and I was was shocked by just the, the absolute opposite ends of the spectrum and, and it, it, you know, it, it triggered this gap that you talk about. And, and so my question for you is when we have such divide, we have such a perceived challenge right now in our world with relationships and perspectives, how, how do you close that gap based upon what you know and your experiences and what you teach people? Pat, I, you know, not to, to come off as, uh, as somebody that has, a simple answer. Um, I want to. I want to simplify the the equation just a little bit. So, I believe that regardless of whether you're on one side of the fence or the other, and that could be the political fence, the social justice fence, it could be any fence you could think about. The one thing that that is common denominator on both sides is this this level of of. Uh, emotionality, this heightened level of, of adversarial, adversarial languaging, the vernacular that people are using to have conversations with other human beings has, has, you know, reached a, you know, I think 212, 212 degrees is like the boiling point of water. I feel like we're constantly between sort of 210 and 213. Yeah. You know, and it's so quick to get to the boil as well. And what that tells me, see, right. I got to go back to when I was an attorney, one of the things that was a sign, not just when I put my feet on the floor and felt that dread, but in the afternoons when I had to reach for another cup of coffee or another piece of chocolate or something, because I could, I could feel myself, you know, sort of sliding, uh, energy, you know, energy wise that my energy was, was falling. And I, my temper was so short. I was so quick to anger. Right. Anger was my, was like, I lived with all this almost instantly uh, accessible anger. And of course I was a litigation attorney. I was a trial attorney. So I was able to use that anger for my, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I think there's a common theme there, but we won't go there. Pat, I used it all the time and it made me, you know, it made me a lot of money. Okay. Right. It just also made me really unhappy. miserable, I would say. So right now, I think that this, and that was a symptom. So my anger and my impatience and things like that were a symptom of something else that was going on in my life that I couldn't see at the time. What we're seeing, I believe, what you're seeing on Facebook, and we see it in lots of places, is a symptom of something else. And to me, it is that people are afraid. People are exhausted. There is a cost of exhaustion that is cured by 
the work that we, we, we speak about these days, which is how you develop resilience now before you need it, how it is that you develop resilience. And resilience is not some magic thing. You ask anybody what their definition of resilience is, they'll probably, you know, you'll get as many definitions as you will get people to define it. But I'm gonna, I wanna ask you just for the purposes of the conversation, Pat, how do you define resilience? And then we'll circle back to this. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is my podcast. You're putting me on the spot? Wait a minute here. So totally. for me, for me, resilience is if I stumble, it's getting back up. It's not staying down. It's not being a victim. Resilience is meeting a problem. And in fact, I did this over the weekend. I'm doing some handyman work around the house, which normally I don't do. And so it isn't my skill level. And I just was so challenged by the fact that I couldn't solve it. And then I finally did. That's my definition of resilience. Yes. So, so there's an element of persistence and tenacity and bouncing back, right? You're like Rocky, you know, every time you get knocked down, you get back up, right? And that's a lot of people feel that that resilience is very much about that. The problem with some of that is that ultimately it's exhausting and it yes. exhausts people to constantly like Rocky, get back up. You know, in the first yeah. Rocky was 1976, right? And you can yeah. still picture Sly, right? Sly Stallone getting hit how you doing? Right. And he gets back up. He wins our, our hearts in that movie, but he, but he loses the fight. And there's a moral to that, that we, we have to understand that the root of resilience is not about endurance. It's not about getting back up. It's about recovery. It's about the way that we actually, the way an athlete does recover from from the stress, recover from the, the exertion. So it's not stress that's the issue. It's the lack of recovery from stress that's the issue. It's not exhaustion that's the problem. We have to get exhausted in order to exercise, whether it's our mental faculties or our physical bodies or whatever it is, but it's the lack of recovery from that exhaustion that is the root of the problem. When we were on the beach, the reason why we could actually have an impeccable record after that day right. was the fact that part of what we learned was how to take care of ourselves. We had each other's backs. We had given each other permission and, and we were ourselves modeling what that looked like for everybody around us. So in your organization, in your home, in, in your, you know, in your solopreneur endeavors, you, you've got to be giving yourself and others permission to recover because it's the way that you would perform if you were practicing or, or, or wanting, you know, you're going to perform in the Olympics, you know, you wouldn't exhaust yourself before your Olympic event. And it's the same thing in everything we do, but we, we run ourselves on empty and we take it for granted. We, we would never think of driving our car on empty for days and days and days without the expectation that we'd be on the side of the road, like in Minnesota, in two feet of snow, walking with a can yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or calling yeah. AAA to come and bail you out, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yet we, dr we, we drive ourselves that way. And in fact, there are people, even thought leaders that are out there who are dispensing that kind of advice to other people. That you should work your day job and then you should start at seven o'clock at night and work a second job or your side hustle to one or two in the morning and all you can, you know, you need three, four hours sleep and that's it. And I'm going to call BS on that because yeah. ultimately you are a train wreck when that happens. And, and the ripple effect of you being exhausted is that things like what you saw, a simple comment or a post that somebody makes on Facebook or somebody that cuts you off on the road, you have right. no patience for that. 
Right. You, you have lost it because you are emotionally drained yourself. So I think I probably already know the answer, but I'm guessing that the pandemic and everything we've gone through is just magnified. It's like put this whole thing on steroids. It has, it has, yeah. which is why this is, you know, so important right now that we're having this conversation. Right. So, so let's say I'm there, right? Let's say that I'm, I'm in that exhaustion as an entrepreneur. And, and, you know, frankly, I think it, you know, it's one of those things that, that entrepreneurs deal with, right? I mean, sometimes you're, like you said, solopreneur, I'm everything. I'm the bookkeeper, I'm the marketing director, I'm the, you know, get the coffee person. And so what would you, you know, and, and I know you lay this out in the book and yet, what would you say now would be two or three simple, simplified strategies that you could give to somebody right now that they could make some changes today? Start with the waking. <laughs> like we're all, you know, lucky if we get to wake up again tomorrow and not just lucky, but blessed. Right. So what's your ritual for waking? And what's the ritual that you put after the, the one like dominoes? If you set up dominoes, that's also in the book pivot. I talk about how you create momentum in a business and things. Well, just think about dominoes and the way that, that they're sequenced one next to the other one knocks into the other. Uh, and, and there's a beautiful little side story about dominoes is not only the capacity to knock over another domino, but it can, a domino can knock over another domino. It's slightly bigger, slightly heavier than itself. So it just one action leads to another that's slightly bigger and, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to right now, what anybody can do is to evaluate your rituals for recovery. Because again, whether it's looking at Harvard Business Review or any other of the more recent studies of, of what truly... Uh, develops resilience in us. It's the development of rituals for our recovery. And that begins with waking. So for me, my waking ritual is what I said earlier, these four words. I gave a TED talk where that's the whole through line of that talk is simply to ask the question, what if you decided to love your life now? What if, what if you decided to love your life no matter what? So at the beginning of the day, my waking ritual is to wake up one, two, to feel some something in that moment that, that is appreciation or gratitude for my anything. It's so easy to find gratitude upon waking if you're thinking about it. And three, out loud, when my feet hit the floor, I say, I love my life. That's a first ritual. Next is, what am I doing with the first 10 minutes of my day? So many people, their first 10 minutes involve this. Right? They pick up yeah. their phone to look who's texted me or emailed me or did people like my post or whatever you know it is. So I don't touch my phone not at the beginning of the day. The first 10 minutes are the most important 10 minutes of your entire day. What are you going to do with them? One thing that I love to do, and, and I've shared this with people now for more than 10 years, is to create a, uh, a list of statements. I call this my code of conduct, but there, it's a simple statement that starts with the words, I experience, then there's a blank in between, and the word today. I experience blank today. So for example, my first list, my first code of conduct was 13 experiential statements that say, I experience blank today. So the first one was always and is today, I experience gratitude today. And then I sit and I feel that gratitude. My second one might be, I, as it was this morning, I experience being a blessing and being blessed today. I, I feel like, how is it that I'm, my life is going to be a blessing to others today? And I'm also open and willing to receive other people's good wishes and their blessings and work and business and money and all those good things. 
And I'm setting that out at the beginning of the day. It becomes these statements, which could be for somebody right now, you could create your own list as we're even, as you're listening to this, watch, write down, I experienced blank today, you know, list of five things or 10 things. Mine was originally 13. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for how that day is going to unfold. It is, it is literally a moment at the start of the day where I am in neutral. I'm not, I'm not judging the world. I'm not judging my life. I'm just setting out what it is that would constitute success. You talk about success ascent. Well, this is like the first step on the ladder or it's it's the first 10 minutes might even be the first 10 steps on the ladder. If you could get that right, if, if all you ever could were, were, were responsible for was to get that moment, right? That early moment, that first 10 minutes of your day, if you get the moment right, it's like everything else will, will flow from there. In fact, that's the only thing we ever really have to do anyway is to just get this moment right because the next one will take care of itself if we get this one right. So that means, you, 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 let's say your example, you see somebody post something on Facebook that triggers you. You can feel it come up. The energy comes up. You want to respond. You want to say something really, you know, put him in their place. <laughs> and we know, yeah. right? This is some pretty aggressive stuff, some angry, angry, right. even hateful things that are being shared. You catch yourself in that moment. You take a breath. You pause. You ask yourself, is this the, is this the best use of my time? Is this the best use of my energy? Is this me showing up as the most loving version of myself that's possible? Yeah. Am I helping anybody by what I'm doing? You could have a list of questions once you pause in that moment to remove any judgment and just simply going, I'm going to look at this in a, through a neutral lens. I'm going to ask myself some questions to find out what my creative opportunity is in this moment. Right. And then, and then I get to choose that model. Pause, ask, choose is, is actually a part of the upcoming book I've got coming out later this year called change proof, but it's so simple Yeah. Because, because if we did that, right, Pat, maybe instead of there being 40 comments yeah. that are just one, mo- you know, one, one assault after another, Yeah. you know, just be like, Hey, I don't have time for that. It's not, it's not my place to judge anybody. And, and if I can't say anything, kind. Well, I'm not going to say anything at all. And I get that that's like a little Pollyanna and maybe it's advice that your grandmother gave you or something, but it's also true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many, you know, there's so many things there. I'm thinking about it. You know, first is, you know, what would our world look like if we didn't have that type of app? And it's not the only one, right? And yet if we went back to talking to people face to face, like we used to do, because it's a lot harder to have that type of emotion and negativity when you're face to face. I mean, we're human beings. There's a part of that. The other thing that I love that you said, Adam, was, and, and I, I think this is, is accurate, is that morning is really, for the most part, the only time of your day that you truly control that hasn't been impacted by something else. So setting the stage for that, it sets up your day. So so I absolutely love that. So the, the other thing, Pat, too, is it becomes a bookend process. So that ritual, you can check in at night. Don't t- right. take my word for it. Do this for one day. See at the end of the evening when you look at, at those those statements that you wrote down and you said out loud, you go, know, did I experience that today? So I, I experienced being of service to other people today, my highest service. At the end of the day, did you 
feel that you were of service to other people? Yes or no? Because either answer is great. Like if it's no, well, then you have clarity about what it is that might've been missing in your day, right. why I, you don't I feel fulfilled, so. right? Yeah. But if it did happen, you go, okay, that's phenomenal. I want to celebrate that. I'm grateful for that. And also, why did it happen? Right. right. Maybe it happened because you decided at the beginning of the day, that was actually the experience of living that you were going to create. So, you know, it's so easy to just create a, a small number of rituals that take you through a day right. and then ultimately day after day, like the, you know, uh, slow and steady wins the race. You just go, wow, look yeah. at where my life is now because my life is a product of those rituals. Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard this mentors all my life, gradually, then suddenly, right? You gradually have the rituals and then suddenly your life changes and you go, whoa, how'd that happen? Well, it happened mm -hmm. gradually and then by changing the rituals. So let's shift gears a little bit. I prepared you for this. So you had some time to think about it. What's the best advice as an entrepreneur, business owner, author, you know, human being? What's the best advice you've ever been given that hopefully you followed? I was about 15 years old. My dad said, follow your instincts. I've done that my entire life. And and when I haven't followed that advice, I've, <laughs> I've, paid, I've paid the price for it. I love it. I love it. It's great advice, right? And we trust our, we have to trust our gut. And a lot of times we don't. So let's flip that upside down. I always like to have some fun with this and we always get interesting answers. What's the absolute worst advice that you've ever been given that we hope you didn't follow? However, if you did, what did you learn? Ah, uh, you know what? When you asked me that question, nothing came up for me, honestly. And and maybe it's because uh I I don't uh I, I don't look backwards too often about about you know, sort of trying to assign blame to others more often than not, if I'm finding blame, it's usually with myself, but, right, right. but you know, um, I, I would, you know, I, I've been told things about, about how to, um, get people to agree to things to say yes, meaning in the sales, in, in, in sales right. and enrollment conversations and things like that. And, and I've seen how effective those tactics can be, but they are not conducive to the kind of life that I want. And right, they don't, right. they don't, they don't, they don't feel the way, uh, the way I, I, you know, want to feel when right. somebody says yes, when I invite somebody to, to join us or when we get hired to do our work. Um, it, it's not because we've laid out a wonderful mousetrap that they just happen to, you know, find themselves in. Um, and, and you know what, I, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to fault anybody for their process, right. but, uh, but it doesn't work for me. And, and I was mentored by somebody that was really good at that. And for a while, because I was reinventing myself, I was going out of the law and into a different field and the person I was following and met and being mentored by, um, you know, he had a style that worked for him. Right. So I guess, this is a this is a pretty good through line for this one is that it's you know mentorship is really important but ultimately it's it's up to us to own who we are and even though we follow other people for a period of time it's really important to remember that you're going to you you have to step outside of that yeah which which is not not you yeah yeah well, and that takes courage you know it does you take away from the mentor what you really want to take away and the things that you don't take away, you kind of leave there. 
Indeed. Yeah. So uh, as I kind of wrap things up, um, Adam, I want you to think about a final thought here that you would share before we go. And so, you know, first I want to um, I want to drop your uh, your website in. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, find out, you know, uh, how they could hire you, your keynote, your uh, books, uh, talks, virtual talks now in today's world, obviously they can get you at adammarkell.com. So uh, listeners, thank you so much. We, we so love that you subscribe and please go to your favorite podcast source or go to www.thesuccessascent.com and, uh, and leave us a, a comment, uh, give us a rating. We always love those things. So Adam, as we close out, what would you leave us with as a final thought? Well, we spoke a lot about resilience today, Pat. So it, it's, um, you know, to me, you have to know where you're starting from. That's in so many areas, if you don't know where you're going, you know, any road will take you there. I think that was a George Harrison quote, um, but it's, it's true. And so ass assessing where you are is, is vital. We have an assessment tool. There's uh, you know, no strings attached. It's entirely free resiliencerank.com. If your, your listeners go to resiliencerank.com in three minutes, they can find out where they are in terms of their own resilience, mentally, emotionally, physically, of course, and spiritually even. And, and that's that's vital because, again, now more than ever before, you have to make or, or once you become aware of where you might be weak in that area, you've got to commit to making some small changes. This There's nothing that, that I would ever propose to anybody that's sort of a jump ship or a pit. I'm not a believer in that. I'm a believer in micro, but small changes over time create transformation. And, and it's that commitment to making those small changes that, again, you might call a ritual, that you ritualize those things that lead to something that is breathtaking. In fact, it's been a miracle repeatedly in my life that when I've been able to commit to small changes, that as long as I stick with those things, right. they produce a a real dividend later on. So again, being more resilient is the key, both for yourself, for those that you're leading, as well as for the entire, you know, whether it's a small or, or a large organization, resilience can become cultural. And resilient organizations more than anything, small, again, small company, big company, it's the same thing. It's like your competitive edge, that you're resilient when other people are simply trying to survive right. the storm or whatever it is. You're, you're just literally riding on a wave of opportunity, which sounds, you know, might sound like it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's uh, hyperbolic, but the truth is that's, again, uh, what all the research coming out of the worst, the worst events, 2008 financial crisis, that's what they found. Huge gap between those that were less resilient and those that were more resilient. It'll be the same thing coming out of this pandemic. It already is. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Adam, again, I just want to truly thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know my listeners um, that are listening live and then they'll hear the podcast um, are going to be grateful as well. And so I just want to thank you and thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. Pat, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much. So as I end every show, everybody, be, he be healthy, be happy, and be safe until the next time we meet. Take care. If you've not yet subscribed, please go to your favorite podcast source and subscribe to the Success Ascent or simply go to www.thesuccessascent.com, and that's A-S-C-E-N-T.com, thesuccessascent.com. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. We look forward to catching you on the next Ascent.